Hello fellow homebrewers, JP here, and I want to introduce to you the brand new Brewbuilt X1 Conical Series available at More Beer. More Beer sells the highest standard in homebrewing equipment, and the Brewbuilt Conicals are just that. They're made from mere polished 304 stainless steel, and they come with loads of features that you and I have been looking for. They have a full 2-inch bottom dump valve, which will eliminate your clogging issues, while the sturdy base includes four reinforced legs, just like those big pro tanks do. More Beer also carries the Brewbuilt line of options and add like casters, pressure kits, and even external glycol chillers. So you can find out more about the new Brewbuilt X1 Conical Uni Tanks by going over to morebeer.com for detailed videos on the entire line of Brewbuilt Conicals. You can trust Brewbuilt with your next fermentation, and you can trust More Beer to find the right conical for you. Brewbuilt at morebeer.com. Beer is about drinkability. Doesn't matter oh, yeah. the style. You guys are like walking beer Wikipedia. That's the first time that you've ever accepted me as a person. Or you have a fermentation in your gut. Yeah. I'm jet propelled at all times. <laughs> How many guys do you think that you have the privilege to slap? Somebody who's never tasted a commercial example, and this is how you know everything about this beer? Please, you don't. I think it's bullshit. (laughs) I think it's bullshit, too. Wow. Are you guys going to arm wrestle? No. No. We're going to teabag fight. You heard of Junkyard Wars? Can I get another high five, Beavis? (laughs) Now, live from the Brewing Network Studios in Northern California, this is the radio program for home brewers. Craft brewers, beer lovers, and beer geeks. It's your only source for live beer radio that brings expert brewers together with, well, expert drinkers. This is the radio program with a head on it. This is The Session. Hey, welcome everybody. It's another episode of The Session right here on The Brewing Network, and we have a great show for you today, as always. Uh, We've talked about these guys a lot from time to time over the years of uh, partying and hanging out and, you know, all that kind of fun stuff. On the show today, Tony Lawrence from Boneyard Beer. You can go to boneyardbeer.com, check them out, what's going on over there. Tony and the crew over at Boneyard have been kicking out some great beers uh, for a, a, a little, you know, what, how long, Tony? Five, four or five years? Well, we just turned 11. 11! God! That shows you what I know about anything. And we're, uh, we're excited to have you here. I, in fact, uh, I was meeting one of my co-hosts for another show, Dr. Homebrew, and I was giving him some of the beer that you sent to, to me because I had some, some extras. And he goes, I get Boneyard beer? He, was, he lit up like a Christmas tree. No joke. So it's very cool. Where does he live? In Livermore, down here, about an hour away. We've got some ties to Livermore. We'll circle on that later. <laughs> okay, awesome, awesome. Well, thanks for, thanks for joining the show, man. I appreciate you uh, sending beer and taking time out of your day to chat with us a little bit. Yeah, thanks, Jason. Thanks for pinging me, inviting me on the show. Uh, I guess we'll just get in the weeds, chat about, like you mentioned, uh, Boneyard or me or some of the beers and what's going on up here in Bend or the Northwest or maybe Livermore. <laughs> Either one, man. I like them both. I like them both. So, Tony, let's start with your roots, man. How did you get into beer? How did you find yourself owning a brewery? I'm sure that just you wake up one day and then that's it. You own a brewery. There's no work involved at all behind the scenes yeah, in that, right. right? 
Right. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, I, uh, it's quite a journey to uh, this conversation here today, but that journey started uh, late 88, early 89. Um, wow. I showed up in Bend as a pretty much a snowboard rat out of California. Okay. Was looking for a job, met some people here in the community, and um, and I ended up getting a job at Deschutes Brewery in uh, the season of 88, 89. I remember from the wow. winter, somehow more than the actual <laughs> annual year. I was just a ski bum or a snowboard bum, right? Yeah, for sure. It was that winter. And uh, and boy, what a journey that was for the next 12 years with Deschutes that really helped to set the stage and shape it the rest of my life from a career standpoint. Now, prior to that, I wasn't really homebrewing. Um, I was chasing snow, as I pointed out, but I had a lot of years previous to that where me and some buddies down there in Southern California, we were chasing Sierra Nevada, um, and a lot of imports really, you know, this, we're going back to 85 or 86 and we were, you know, wow. chasing Samuel Smith's and all these different things, imports, fancy label looking stuff. Yeah. Uh, and then the Sierra, Sierra Nevada bit us pretty, pretty, pretty strongly. Okay. Um, but I wasn't chasing beer industry at all. Uh, so it's a little, um, you know, I mean, again, I, I fell in it to shoots and, uh, which is pretty interesting. I got a job in the kitchen, but you know, you hang out, um, now you're working at a brewery and you're being exposed to all these projects and beers and, and, uh, clearly getting up in the craft beer scene. And, um, I was quickly becoming friends with John Harris. He's one of the original brewmaster. He was the original brewmaster to shoots and what I, you know, my mentor, and clearly what I consider to be what the brewmaster of Oregon should be. He's just like <laughs> the OGs and he looks like it. He acts like it. He talks like it. So we were becoming really good friends and he would yeah. ask me about snowboarding and I'd ask him about beer. That didn't take long until, uh, well, I jumped ship from the kitchen, right? And started washing his kegs. And so that was in early 1990. That really set the tempo. So you know, I'll just give you the fast track there. So, you know, uh, washing kegs first half and 90 filling kegs the second half and 90 which then gets you into cleaning some tanks after the brewers do their work which finally within about a year or so got me to the uh, closing shift on the brew house so you come in oh, there and you yeah. kind of just follow the you know follow the boil um and then you know clean oh, actually sorry you gotta do the grain out show up just in time for grain <laughs> of out. course yeah <laughs> yeah shovel the grain out finish the boil chase the war clean the place and set the stage for the am brewers um okay um, and then, you know, that was at the 10 barrel brew house at the uh, Bond street, original Deschutes Brewery location. And, uh, they were quickly growing the company. Gary and team had, you know, just made a lot of excellent decisions. The brand was right. The timing was right. And so we, they started building that 50 barrel brew house. And, uh, really what I'm trying to bore you with that is I stayed with this Deschutes until November of Oh, two. And, um, you know, or about a, you know, a journey from maybe 500 barrels in 1989 annually to 150,000 barrels or something when I left. So wow. that was quite an epic journey, you know, and I mean, the craft beer scene still is super exciting, but all through the 90s here in Oregon with making Mere Pond Pale Ale and stuff was just an amazing journey. Yeah, um, what a trip, man. Looking back on that, too. I mean, it's it's not often that you get in on. I mean, I don't, I don't know if it was the ground floor, but it sure as hell sounds like it. It sure as hell feels like it, I bet, because that's a that's a that's big growth, I think, even even back then. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, since we're just kind of volleying the ball back and forth, I, I might find it interesting to note that um, 
you know, Deschutes, there was all the, I mean, when I left, we were brewing anywhere from 52 to 56 beers a week. So, you know, that's eight, that's, uh, wow. Uh, what is that? I mean, that's eight brews a day with a CIP six, six and a half days a week. So that type of environment really shaped me as a production brewer, but you can only imagine when you're brewing that many barrels or that many brews a week, the, um, so many experiences, good, bad, or otherwise that take place year in and year out really helped to, you know, <laughs> well, give me a lot of experience. Like what? Um, what specifically are you talking about? Well, I mean, uh, that was a long example. time ago, but yeah. uh, let, me, let me think back. Um, well, shoot, I mean, you, you successes and failures, anything could happen. You know, you see brewing that many brews a week, you see so many things uh, that go right correctly or incorrectly. And a lot of times it's, it's more just straightforward. Nothing seems to um, jump off the shelf and get your attention, but there's definitely things that happen. You know, there's always going to be something. Oh, okay. Um, a pump breaks. Right. You've got the you've got three beers in process and you're scratching your head, trying to figure out what your play is going to be. You got, you know, you got work in the kettle, but the boiler's down and you're building DMS and do you throw the hops and shit? I pitched the yeast or, you know, it just goes on and on, but it's um, a speedway, man. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a pressure cooker of, of what do you do? Because the longer you wait, the the more backed up the next shit's going to be. I would imagine, I guess that's how that works. Right. I don't know. I don't handle pressure well. So I would just cave. You know what else happened is so, I mean, you know, again, there it is. We're doing 56 brews a week. Yeah. We had in-house educations. Uh, uh, the sent me to Siebel. So, I mean, I was really, you know, prime in my life doing a lot of great, you know, lots of great things happening. Um, um, and Deschutes, you know, had in-house education and they pay for you here at the local community college, depending on, um, you know, the subjects are related to, you know, your brewing career. It could be math, biology, chemistry, uh, sure. what have you. And, uh, I went and took a welding class and I'm like, hey guys, this, this absolutely ties out to our industry. And they're like, yeah, oh, let's go, here you go. Yeah. Uh, because uh, there were some players back there, back in the day, Ron Allen was kind of running the um, maintenance or engineering department at Deschutesbury. Deschutesbury was in a lot of growth in terms of barrels or square cubic feet or pro- automation or process piping. And I really had a kick hanging out with uh, those guys, watching them scratch their heads engineer a project, um, order the parts, uh, you know, install it, etc. cetera. Um, so I was watching all this brewing happen, all these great brewers and all this related stuff. At the same time, I really had my eyes on some of the other side of the operations under that roof that make the brewery operate. I was always kind of a car guy, get, you know, gizmo gadget, fix that carburetor or whatever have you. So, I mean, that really set the stage. So after 12 years of all that, um, again, not only was I watching and learning all about beer and beer process and all that, but I was really taking field notes on all the other operations that help keep a brewery operational, Yeah, uh, which, you know, when we get, when we get further down the road, which really ties into this whole boneyard thing and, um, what gave me the comp, you know, the exp- confidence more than experience in regards to, you know, the operation, the engineering and all these type of things, but it definitely all played a role. And uh, some years later, give me the imagination and the confidence to go ahead and launch Boneyard. Nice. Well, where do you go from there? Where do you go from uh, from Deschutes? Right. Okay. I think like a lot of, uh, you know, I'll speak for myself, but I see it in others. Uh, young yeah. brewers, you, you jump on with a team uh, like Deschutes. There's lots of departments, lots of uh, brewers, lots of talent. People are vying for position, you know, um, in the pecking order. You know, I, with Deschutes, I, I sort of made the – the position of senior brewer that was a polite way of saying you do really good tony and you've 
you, you've been here pretty much the longest. Um, but you know, I was I was dabbling in snowboarding and all these different things while I was trying to focus on my career at Deschutes. So I was kind of playing both sides. Why some of the other guys are really zeroed in on their careers. Um, um, but what I went after is oh, I, the rewind is what starts to happen. I think in a system like that is it, it, you, you know you start to get more curious as a, a brewer. You maybe want to strike out and have your opportunity to. Um, to drive that vehicle a little bit more yourself to let your imagination shine through rather than the system where these topics have to be pushed through a boardroom or you get the idea, right? Yeah. Right. And uh, one of the brewers there that was also another mentor of mine, Tim Gossick, he's now with Bells. Um, he was the brewmaster for a while at Deschutes um, after John Harris left. Um, anyhow, he went down to Arizona and started a brewery down there called Rio Salado in Tempe. And he was trying to grab my attention to come down there and brew with him. And I finally did. And, uh, and again, it was about getting myself under a roof where the team was much smaller. The concepts that we ferment in our minds, we can actually take to the brew kettle of Lauderton and just get to work. Right. So it's a great opportunity, essentially, just to be in a small house and really explore my thoughts. The interesting thing about that project was, you know, we're in 2003 now in Tempe, Arizona, and we were a craft brewery producing all German style, traditional, traditional German style lagers. So, you know, we're yeah. a little ahead of the curve of the craft beer scene in, in the, in the Sonoran Desert. And if there was a craft beer scene, that there was, and it was growing, but, you know, it was hops and it was all these things. And here we are trying to make traditional German style lagers. <laughs> that really got the tension a lot of my peers and colleagues in the industry. They yeah, thought we were cool as shit, but the, the average consumer on the street really didn't pay attention to us. No, I can imagine not, man. Yeah, especially especially at that moment in time. That's the IBU chase about right there. Yep, yeah, the IBU chase. Remind me to talk about that later. Um, I never bought into that one. <laughs> I didn't know I was going to have to take notes, Tony. <laughs> uh, you know, but, but it's like, like I shared with you. It got me down to Rio Salado, and I yeah. really got to start to express myself. Uh, so Tim and I would, you know, do whatever we had to do. Of course, I decided to bring in an ale yeast strain to start producing some hops as well to help, maybe not help the brand, but A, I was interested in it. And I felt there's a, you know, we just wanted to be more well-rounded essentially. Yeah, okay. But that reminds me, so to, brew, to do that, you know, German style beers, essentially in that small brewery, we were producing about 2000 barrels a year. We had a small packaging line, 12 ounce bottles. Uh, no, we were doing 22 ounce. Okay. And, uh, but I had to, we were running five yeast strains in that brewery. Let me try and remember if this is right. We had the the house lager. Okay. We had the vice strain, the coal strain. I brought in the ale strain, and we had a wit strain. Oh, geez. Two thousand barrels running five yeast strains. Uh, <laughs> you know uh, that was kind of tough. Which uh, I'll go ahead and just kind of, if anyone else out there listening with a small startup brewery, one of my my key philosophies is. You know, it's all about the yeast. Um, a lot of people, you know, you've got your you've got your hops that you selected and this great recipe that you formulated with your four melted malt and stuff. But um, I know a lot of great brewers and they have small startups and the yeasts, um, you know, the yeast population or the yeast protocol is where you really suffer a small brewery when you're not turning that yeast every week. So anyhow, running five strains and keeping them all healthy and vigorous and what have you was one of the most challenging things I've ever had to do. And it didn't work out that well for me to tell you the truth. I tried, I said, tried to do, okay. I did a pretty good job at it. Um, but you know, when the yeast vitality and vigor is just not optimal, the beers aren't optimal either. 
Yeah. Okay. And so what do you do? Do you pare it down from there? Do you go, mid? look, maybe I try to go too hard on this. I'm going to cut one of these, or maybe we can do like a multi-purpose lager yeast. No, we didn't. We just kept okay. them all going. I mean, okay. some of these brands were on the table before I showed up and they were legitimate brands. You know, we were yeah. packaging, we had 12 ounces and, uh, uh, you know, so these, we all know the cardboard, the six pack containers and labels and all okay. these things. These were legit brands, uh, that were going to trade. So, um, the only one I brought in was the ale, mm-hmm. which, um, I think we're running Cal L yeast or, you know, the O one or what Chico yeast or whatever they refer to it as. Yeah. Um, no, eventually that brewery just kind of petered out uh, again. I think it was the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong products. Um, we were doing what brewers want to do, but the consumer wasn't quite paying attention. Yeah. You know, and that's just sort of a, the, the trailing thread throughout. We've been doing this show since 2005 and every interview is sort of like that where, you know, as brewers, you, you get involved in brewing cause you love brewing. And you want to brew cool stuff. Either you're brewing cool stuff. I mean, there's there's two sides. You can either be brewing cool stuff, and hopefully your brewery works out, and hopefully the the public wants to drink the cool stuff you're making, or you're you know you're pushing buttons, you know, cranking out a hundred beers, you know, a week or whatever. And there, you have to find that middle ground, and it's very hard. Um, and it sounds like that brewery would absolutely kick ass now. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah I mean, I agree. There's so much uh, interest in lagers now, and and Tim's a Tim's a psycho brilliant brewer and so these <laughs> things are these things are straight down the straight and narrow you know monsoon merton and we had our schwartz beer and our pilsner and oh, all these things. they were delicious that sounds that sounds great that's my that, i love that uh, loggers are are king for me um actually you know what why don't i open this pilsner of yours sure what, what, um, what's the name of it, please? Yeah, yeah. You know what? There's been a little bit of a discussion in-house recently because we have another – we have a bunch of loggers in the tanks right now, actually. But, oh, uh, all right. We have a um, – we just uh, – well, I'm going to – we're going to rack it off tomorrow. Let's keg it off, uh, this Mexican lager we did. And so we've never done this brand before, this beer before, so we need a name. So it's the emails are bouncing back and forth and what do we call it, this beer. And we jokingly has become up from some of the coworkers is to call the new Mexican logger Pablo because you have the Pablo. Yeah, Pablo is an actual acronym, and um, you know we we keep it fun around Boneyard. And it was probably about six years ago something showed up on our Facebook page, and you know I'm not big on social media, but clearly it made its way to my desk, and it was basically like a four or five paragraph paragraph straight manifesto. Yeah. Um, um, written to us from a the, you know anti boneyard Facebook page this guy was starting. <laughs> and, uh, Hell and, yeah! You know, you know our our community was only at that time about seventy five thousand people, so we kind of stalked him and figured out who this guy was. And uh, he was recently to town, and um, you know we've been around here for a long time, and you know small community. Uh, we got a lot of friends. We're good people. We make good products. We have fun doing it. Yeah. Anyhow. This is the story behind Pablo. So let me just fast forward. So Clay, Melody, and I, the co-founders, along with myself, um, Clay and Melody have kind of since moved on in life to focus on some other things, uh, mainly family. Okay. Um, it's a good thing to focus on. Uh, anyhow, there's a place in town here called Brother John's. It's it's just, you know, it's the local spot. It's a tap house and the food's great. And, you know, so it's like a Wednesday, it's noon or something like that. And we're, we need to have a quick little meeting. So why not go have a beer, some food at Brother John's? Pretty small little place. Clay, we all arrive separately. Clay's there first. He's a little bit larger guy. He's sitting at a bar stool. It's a small place. Okay. Okay. I show up. There's a bar stool next to him. So now we're waiting on Melody. And um, so Melody shows up 
and but there's only two bar stools. We're waiting for a table. Melody kind of squeezes in behind us. Clay shuffles his chair to the left, and you know, and I guess he taps this gentleman's chair to his left. I guess we got his attention unknowingly. He was watching us. Um, we're trying some Barley Brown's beer. We're like best friends. Tyler Brown and I, you know, we're just, you know, and so Barley Brown's on top. We're all, hey, barkeep, uh, can we try that Barley Brown's? And and then, you know, we take a sip and I'm like, oh, yeah, nice try, Tyler. I mean, we all know, <laughs> I don't know how familiar you are with the Barley Brown's products, but they're absolutely effing amazing. No. So, so Clay bumps the guy's chair. I'm kind of heckling one of my best buddies, Tyler. And then they tap us on the shoulder and they say, hey, guys, your table's ready. And um, so we get seated. That's it, right? Yeah. Next day, there's a, there's a whole manifesto, six paragraph anti boneyard. Apparently, this guy was just paying attention to everything he did, figured out we were like the owners of Boneyard. So his thing was pretentious ass brewery owners, Pablo. And so <laughs> I decided to make a beer and call it Pablo. <laughs> Oh, I love that. That of, of all the things to like, just sort of have this like uh, need to protect, you know, people that you don't know in order to go after people you also don't know. That's very weird. Yeah, I, you know, I don't really do the social media thing much, and you know, it did kind of upset me a little bit because who is this it guy? Should. We're pretty good. You know, I think we're pretty good people. It's just yeah. one of these random situations people find them in. So we thought we would just continue to have fun with it. Out of context, you can't. I mean, yeah, that's and that's the the downside of social media in general. It's like you can take anything out of context, out of context, and <laughs> explode it and blow it up, and then you know, you get. I don't know what you get out of it. Internet points. I don't know. Uh, but that is a very funny name, pretentious ass brewery owners. Classic, I love it. Yeah, the beer itself um, is just straight down the pipes. Uh, some of the guys that are on the team currently and me, shit, we used to work together at Deschutes Brewery in the '90s. Now we're all back together at Boneyard. Mark Hanyan, nice. John Van Duzer, uh, Phil, Bill. Um, you know, we've all been loggerheads from way back when, when we were all brewers at Deschutes, and we'd have our little barbecue party, you know, for brats and beer. Uh, we'd always buy all the Hinninger or other things off the shelf that we could find at Trader Joe's and just, you know, make a bucket full of ice cold German lagers and up rocks and stuff. Damn. So we got a pretty good old school firm bitterness in this Pabo, this Pilsner here, Yeah. but it's just straight down the narrow. It's usually, it's uh, in, in the old days, it was all wireman and our yeast is the 3470 wine stuff and strain check sauce hops, 3540 IBUs. I mean, just old school. Yeah. Uh, that's it. Uh, more recently, we're brewing it on the um, on the uh, uh, RAR Pilsner Malt Czech Sauce 3470s, straight down the straight and narrow. Okay. All right. No frills, just kind of going for it. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a pretty firm binner. It's like I said, old school German style recipe. In my opinion, I feel like a lot of the more um, IP, uh, sorry, the Pilsner's lagers I'm seeing seen on the table. Um, a little softer bitterness, a little bit more user-friendly, bring down the ABV just a tad, which I love those as well. Um, but ours is old school. We're kind of old school, so there you have it. <laughs> I mean, you say bring down the ABV, it's 5%. It's not like... Yeah, okay. Yeah. I thought it was 5.5. Five, five, you know, <laughs> well, that's what, that's what they wrote. But even so... The last 60 or 120 months has been a lot of... Uh, <laughs> yeah. We'll call it brewing-related work. Yes, exactly. And I have a I have a shithead for numbers anyway, so I don't even know. Time is irrelevant even before the pandemic, but now um, it's even worse. No, this is this is a this is what I would consider like what you're saying, just a classic pilsner. It's there's there's some sweetness to it. That hot bitterness sort of comes through at the end, of course, like it should. But for me, it's that it's that body. It's that sort of like oomph. 
that you get from the mouthfeel with that little little extra sweetness uh, that makes this beer what it is. It this is what makes it stand out for me. It's it's that little extra roundness in there uh, that would set this apart from from something else on the table. It's very um, good. Just for fun, um, but our original brewery. It's a twenty barrel brewery. Um, yeah. um, what's kind of uh, been. We haven't, you know, we built the 50 barrel brew house in 2014 and, you know, the uh, original 20 barrel brewery and address has sort of been, I wouldn't call it an idol, but it just hasn't, you know, it, it hasn't seen a whole lot of use as much as we should be, but we're starting to ramp that up um, through for lots of reasons. Um, but uh, interesting enough right now, I think we have, uh, so we've got the Mexican lager in the tanks. We've got another batch of Pablo in the tanks. <laughs> we have a hoppy lager. I'm going to draw, I'm going to harvest the yeast and dry hop that hoppy lager tomorrow. Okay. Um, single hop Callista. We're just messing around with this uh, German aromatic low alpha variety. Um, and then tomorrow, since we're here on the interwebs, tomorrow we're going to tribute beer to uh, Barnaby Struve. He was one of my best buddies. He was, uh, you know, really kind of made a name for himself at Three Floyds with Nick through the years in Chicago world. And just a super interesting cat traveling the world all the time. We lost Barnaby um, in February of this year. And so uh, there's about six breweries, I believe. Uh, see, we got uh, Three Floyds, Boneyard, Wayfinder, uh, Gigantic Ninkasi, wow. uh, uh, Modern Times, and this brewery, uh, Stigbergets or something like that, a uh, Sweden in Gothenburg, where Barnaby worked for a little bit. We're all doing the same base beer recipe. So we're going to brew that tomorrow. So I yeah. guess I'd have maybe four lagers in the tanks, which is pretty fun for us. Wow, I'm sorry to hear about your buddy, man. That's uh, that's gotta He's hurt. Brewing legend, brewing yeah. legend for sure. Wow. Well, what a way to pay tribute to him than than brewing a beer with some hitters in the industry too. I mean, that's all that I think speaks volumes in and of itself too. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, it's all for the right reasons. There's yeah. a cool label out there, and um, actually, I'm going to be brewing it. We're brewing it tomorrow at our place, and then on uh, the second Saturday, the second of October, we'll be brewing it. Some of us will gather at Wayfinder in Portland, and we'll be brewing it there on that Saturday. So this is fun oh, to see base beer come out. Ninkasi already brewed theirs. Uh, Three Floyd's already brewed theirs, and and so we're just getting going. Nice. Yeah, we just had the guys from Wayfinder on. I don't know, a couple months ago, I think. Awesome beers. Yeah, they're doing great stuff over yeah. there, and uh, well, in the Northwest or in Portland. So, uh, you know, talking about the right time, the right place in Portland, making kick ass loggers. Yep. I mean, they're killing it. <laughs> yep, for sure. Absolutely. When would that beer go on tap after you brewed it? How long is that going to sit around? So maybe if someone's in the area in Bend, that they can go and and hopefully time a trip right or something. Sure. Uh, a little bit of staffing. We all know that staffing is hard to find these days, yeah. but uh, typically for us, a lager project like this is at least a, probably a five week beer. So uh, about two weeks or less to ferment and uh, two, three weeks easy of uh, lagering, maturing, clarifying, carbonating. Thank you. And, uh, Thank you. I don't know where we got off track and how to make a lager. I mean, I know, I know where we just try to rush it out the door, but, uh, you know, uh, thank you for doing that. <laughs> it's, it's a, I wonder if anybody would get pissed off at me to share the recipe right now on the interwebs. Please do that. Hopefully I, I, no I, one I, will get mad, but I get myself in a lot of trouble winging it like this, but I just took a screenshot because I was, uh, communicating with Tony Rao, the brewer I'm going to brew, uh, tomorrow with, and, uh, 
Yeah. Just pulling all out of the emails and stuff. I just took a screenshot and, uh, and, uh, well, it's a, it's a, it's Wireman Bark Pilsner at 90%. We're using uh 10% golden naked oats. Uh, I've never brewed with those before. So I'm just mm-hmm. kind of get you know, the base beer recipe, uh, building process. I wasn't that much a part of, so I'm just going to go with Kevin Wayfinder, what these guys put on the table. Um, 3470 yeast and um, uh, 30, 35 IBUs of uh, Hirschbrucker. Okay. Pretty straightforward stuff. This uh, is the reason, a, I, the reason is... I kind of mentioned it is because, uh, you know, it's the, it's like you said, I think a lot of people have kind of, a lot of ale brewers, in my opinion, I got to be careful what I say here, are kind of, <laughs> kind of uh, scared to really ferment their lager yeast at 45 degrees and yeah. things like it, it that's brown trousers time sometimes because you don't know you, you know it's it, it seems like it's uh like walking into fire your body instinctively wants to go the other way like no this uh, is too low i gotta i gotta raise the temperature on this thing yeah so uh we're gonna knock out a 46 um and ferment at 48 okay um which is more, I believe, I can't speak more. This is like a, uh, a Kevin a Wayfinder uh, regiment from the days and the desired set points of the fermentation temperature. Historically on the Pablo for us, it's a, um, 46 and hold. You know, maybe try and lift it to 50 for a VDK towards the end there, depending on the season or something like that. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, trust you, you guys, you can ferment cold in case you're a little scared. Uh, get the right yeast, make sure it's healthy and happy and, and, and rock 47 degrees. That's right. You heard it here. Three points a day. That's what we usually get on our brew logs when we track Pablo. So three points, two, two point five, three points. Never four. Three points. Three points. Three points. Point seven five Plato. Any any higher than that, you're you're going too fast. You're ripping too hard. You gotta lower the temp. Well, you know, I I'm just I'm just sharing with you what I track what I see on our brew logs fermenting at that temperature. So I don't think I necessarily use the temperature to set the parameter. Um, but that's just historically what I see checking the gravities fermenting with that yeast at that temperature. Okay. That makes sense. Uh, you know, going back on something you said a little bit ago, you were, you, you're sort of brewing with a lot of the same crew from Deschutes, you know, back in the nineties. How did that happen? Did you hire them, uh, you know, for, for Boneyard or, or how did you guys meet up and, and sort of keep making beer again? Yeah. Thanks for asking. Um, it really blows me away because, uh, you know, maybe at the end of the day, I'm a little bit more, I've got the experience. I love the game, but you know, anybody probably close to t- telling me I'm the wild card of the bunch. Um, you know, I'm more the hunter gatherer and they're more the farmers, if you will, a little bit, they're probably going to tap me on the shoulder. What do you mean by that, Tony? Um, <laughs> you have a loincloth and they don't, that's really uh, it. But, uh, <laughs> you know, so we got going boneyard, uh, May of 2010, 20 barrel brewery, just really squeaking along more on that later. I find the story to be really interesting. Um, and you know, that's why we call it boneyard. We'll get to that. And, uh, but here we go. Uh, we built a, we grew pretty quickly from 2010 to 2014. I'd guesstimate we're probably closing in on 15, eight, yeah, 2014. I think we did 18,000 barrels on our 20 barrel brew house. Wow. So we we're brewing three brews a day, six days a week. So that's a 4 a.m. to 10 p.m. grind. Um, we built the 50 barrel brew house, um, you know, and we were continuing to grow. I think we got up to about 30,000 barrels, uh, 2019 pre-COVID, all draft in pretty much just the Northwest. 
Um, so we were getting some attention. Um, it's pretty fun when you, you know, you're one of the best selling tap handles in your region. Wow. Um, and, uh, you know, I always had my eye on my buddy, Mark Kenyon. He um, came in to work with us at the shoots and just, you know, just one of those guys, you know, just always at the right place at the right time, making the right moves and okay. hardworking and, and right, well-educated and all these things. And uh, yeah. So I kept trying to grab him, but he was busy at Nkasi building that, you know, the big Hoopman brew house they built probably uh, around 2012 or something like that. And uh, I was finally able to get him after a few years. I think he, he, he finished his project and made his, his, his uh, you know, kind of, you know, that was a large project in Nkasi. And I think when it was over, he was ready to move back to Bend and, and, and took on some other challenges. So I was able to get him to come work at Boneyard and really be, um, a much closer eye to the operations that I was able to lend. So, you know, at that point we had two brewmasters, essentially Mark and myself. Um, and that was invaluable. And then here we go. So Mark had actually also been a brewmaster at the smaller, uh, brew, uh, brewery here in central Oregon called Cascade Lakes. They were the second brewery to open to the shoots in central Oregon. Mm-hmm. Um, before he left to go to Ninkasi, but when he left to go to Ninkasi, he handed off the keys at Cascade Lakes to John Van Duzer, another brewer we worked with at Deschutes Brewery. So this whole thing unfolded, but you know, so uh, I got Mark and then we needed some more talent. It just so happens John Van Duzer was coming available. Uh, we needed some more help and sure, lo and behold, here comes uh, Phil Bray, who was down in the wine industry for a while. And so, um, and Bill Krieger was with me. So, I mean, so somehow the band got back together. It was just really, <laughs> and uh, and so it's really strange that, quite honestly, um, all those guys, uh, Phil Bray, John Van Duzer, Mark Kenyon, myself, and Bill have all been brewmasters and real ones through the years. Um, so they're really like five brewmasters running around on the brew deck or in the offices at Boneyard. It's pretty strange. If you took the cumulative years, I mean, it's got to be like 150 years of wow. Of, uh, experience and we all kind of did it together in the same era in the same community so we think alike yeah well and that that has to be worth its weight in gold or you know beer i guess because anytime you have a problem if you want to make a new recipe or whatever it's not just like oh well well let's see if this works like you guys all have real world experience and a ton of it absolutely yeah Uh, that's cool it it sort of sounds like like you target certain people to hire and it, it, I mean, is, sometimes it's uh, does, who you know and you know okay. how good they are and it's the right place at the right time. Um, so, I mean, is, hey, is that the shape type of thing? It just happened. Is that the industry in general or it seems like Bend in that central Oregon area can sort of be very familial in that way where everyone sort of works for everybody else and we sort of just kind of, you know, pass through the rinser and then we end up where we start. Um, or is it like, hey, I know you, you're in you know, I don't know, Tacoma or whatever. And maybe in a couple of years we can do something together. And then that thing happens and you just could sort of, everything just falls into place. Do you see what I'm I saying? Mean, we, you know, I've got my story. Boneyard's just only 11. And so the story I shared with you is just what happened for me and our journey. Um, yeah. Um, I've definitely, you know, got my eye on talent. You know, the right people that you work well with together or you're impressed by. And if they're available, hmm. We just brought on Tony Rao. Um, hmm. Rao just came from... Uh, Great Divide, and formerly, uh, before that, Odell. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the guys on my team, Nick Murray, who I haven't mentioned yet, used to also work at Odell and, you know, had his eye on Tony Rao back then. So we basically, we had, basically, Nick brought him out and um, and uh, brought him out to Boneyard about three months ago. So, so 
Lots, lots of pathways. I think we need a craft beer draft. It sounds like <laughs> that's what we're talking about. It's a lot of lot of talent, uh, which is also why I'm here by myself. You know, you know people you work with well, which is me by myself, and then that's what you do. <laughs> that's what you do. It's sort of. Uh, now that's cool, man. It's you know, it's again we talk about these common threads. It's sort of what happens. People float around, you know, from job to job in the industry, and of of course that's just what happens. But um, I think it's really cool. Oh, I should have asked first, but I'm going to do this anyway. Um, it's cool that you can work with people that you've worked with in the past, and then to be sort of entrenched in the industry that you essentially helped to stretch and grow, right? Um, to find these people again. And to work with them again, it's it's not a chance that you get all the time. I think that's really nice. Well, then hold on, put your seatbelt on, because our story. <laughs> uh, I mean, I don't, you know. Uh, all right. I think we're gonna have no problem filling up. We're already at thirty-eight minutes plus or minus this thing. So yeah, yeah. we're gonna go ninety minutes easy. That's okay. I'm gonna that's grab the- a beer in a sec. I'm still drinking an NA plug for our uh, not plug, but our uh, our uh, we've been work. We do some non-alcoholic what we call elixirs. And uh, with some CBD in it. So we'll get there for sure. Now it's my turn to say that. We'll get there. Um, yeah, go. Yeah, get it. We'll get a beer, man. Well, uh, but anyway, what were you going to say? Check it out. So, um, you know, we're at a very crazy interest, uh, intersection for Boneyard or myself or Deschutes Brewery or some of the guys' marketing team that I just mentioned. Um, so, if you recall, um, Boneyard and me partnered with the shoots uh six months ago almost to the day oh wow um so you know again right here in my community family owned uh the shoots brewery family owned um where i cut my teeth um and um, when the COVID hit we were a draft only brewery we we're we have we we're had it pretty good you know we're making thirty thousand barrels draft only ipa and everything was going really well till COVID hit and then we had yeah. to make the pivot um, to packaging very swiftly. Um, but it, that sort of opened up Pandora's box, you know, for a brewery, uh, we're pretty, we're received really well in the Northwest. Um, we were one of the only breweries. If you looked at the rankings by volume that didn't do packaging. Mm-hmm. So when we finally did packaging, it was a Pandora's box type of situation. And, uh, um, so we started looking for help. Obviously, what I'm trying to say is our brewery had about a co- annual capacity of 35,000 barrels. I certainly, at least me from my desk, really didn't feel the need to go speak with the bankers to get the big notes to try and put together another brewery really quick to maybe find 75 or 80,000 barrels of capacity to support the packaging that we recently started since COVID. You get the math. Yeah. So we, we went and talked to Deschutes and what came out of that was... Uh, well, Tony, we certainly would like to help you on your adventure, but uh, we don't want to compete. Again. You know, why are we going to put all this beer out with your mark on it and then have to compete against <laughs> it? So maybe we should be more creative about how we look at this opportunity. Okay. So we partner. And so now it's a, you know, and it's a true partnership. I'm down there working every day and we're, we're working, you know, I'm back with Gary Fish and <laughs> back at, back at, uh, whatever the address is over there on Simpson Avenue, <laughs> where I spent my graveyard shifts all those nights years ago. Wow. Um, and so that's really fun. But here's what we were talking about, Mark and John and those guys. So now the 50 barrel brewery where we have been brewing Boneyard and are still brewing Boneyard mm-hmm. um, by the end of this year, will end up um, the keys to that brewery will end up um, in the hands of some of the players. I just mentioned, they're going to form their own company called Van Hinion Brewing Company. So it's, it's uh, uh, 
Mark and Dana Hinion is their last name, and there's John Van Duzer. So they've decided they'll be the main partner. So they're going to make Van Hinion Brewing Company. They're going to fo- focus on lagers. Oh, yeah. And uh, so that just kind of really rounds up that story. We didn't see each other on the work floor for 10 years. We've been working together for the last five years. COVID hits. I go back to the shoots, and we're going to scale the Boneyard brand um, by volume, by package, and by region. And um, the fall off brewery will end up in those guys' hands. It's fucking amazing. So, wow. That's cool, man. That's cool. So you you basically moving everything. You're selling your brewery, or, you know, whatever the paperwork entails. Yeah. And uh, everything, everybody's happy. Ooh, on paper. On paper. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there's like, there's trials and tribulations with this whole mess. Like you said, it's Pandora's box. You take the good wow. and you take them bad and you take them both. And you have, you know, a, I couldn't, you know, going back to leaning back to the boneyard side, uh, obviously I was pretty happy as I pointed out with our business model in 2019, we were nine years in and we're pretty seasoned to what we do. We had a good team of guys I just mentioned, you know, yeah. I mean, it was going really well and, uh, well then everything changed. So <laughs> we made our adjustments. Yeah. And you said it's been going really well, packaging the pivot to packaging, which is, you know, definitely not the only people to do it, to have to work all that out. Um, but it sounds like it's a, a great success. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, it comes really, I wouldn't say easy for us, but, uh, you know, I've, I've built breweries all around the world and uh, installed packaging lines, commissioned packaging lines, wrote the SOPs for packaging lines and did all kinds of projects. And, you know, this was another continually ties into the Boneyard thing a little bit. I guess I'm not wearing the hat with the right logo. Um, <laughs> um so, you know, I used to, I used to broker equipment and, you know, so we went and we emptied our, our original seller. Um, when the COVID, when the pandemic came, we used the craft canning out here out of Portland in the Northwest. They came and emptied the seller for us while we went to work sourcing packaging equipment, uh, purchasing it, getting it shipped home, reconfiguring it and building our own lines and stuff. So that was quite a, quite a run to uh, put together our line. Uh, but you know, we're running about 75, 80 cans a minute, uh, really good results, uh, stati- uh, analytics from the lab. So uh, we're pretty happy. Um, but we're folding in the Boneyard brands one by one over at Deschutes. So the first, our heavy hitter brand is our RPM IPA. Okay. Uh, that was focus. Number one was to flavor match and scale, um, and get that brand to Deschutes. Um, about eight weeks later, we followed with Hot Venom, which is our double IPA. Um, we're just getting going with our incredible pulp right now, which like this blood orange pale ale IPA thing we do. I just cracked that, and we're, we're going to talk about that right after this. So, All yeah. right. I, there's some yeah. fun stories to that one. Uh, okay, with, good. Uh, it involves rock stars, kids, and things. I love it. So it's a process. What we're trying to do is continually every eight weeks fold over um, one of the Boneyard brands into the Deschutes Brewery manufacturing facility. Okay. So uh, um, we're still brewing at both locations currently. And ultimately here over the next quarter or two, the Van Hinion Brewing Company will tilt up and all fold out and uh, everyone gets to work. I love it, man. We've been pretty busy. It sounds <laughs> like it. Yeah, it sounds like it emotionally and physically, man. I mean, that's that, that, can't, that couldn't have been easy, honestly. I mean, just on for, for me... From like a mental standpoint, I think that would have been that just would have been a, a hard thing to try to figure out if this is the right move and what's fair and should I do this and should I not? I mean, that's a big step, but it sounds yeah, like we, the Deschutes people are are have soft, gentle, caring hands. It's it's 
yeah, I'm tired. But <laughs> you know, I'm in the beer game and I'm living my dream. And I yeah. get now the Boneyard brand's gonna have this amazing opportunity to see where it lies in West Coast. You know, it's, this is fun for me. It's super fun to take this mark, this brand that we have created and yeah. see what it has to say in San Diego or see what it has to say in Reno or something, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this is a really sketchy little scrap piece of paper I keep on my desk. Okay. And I should have dated it. My dad always taught me to date stuff, but I always forget to. But uh, Oh, same. Mine too. This, and this I never got did. a graph of a bell curve that I was trying to uh, share with my girlfriend. I don't think you can see it, but... Uh, hey, it's a little blown out. I came home one day, and uh, there was a little post-it. She says, babe, you're almost here. And I go, you know, up top of the bell curve, I'm going to start coming down the other side. But, <laughs> Well, look, man, it's back to your snowboard roots, man. You're you're at the top of the hill. <laughs> You'll just snowboard down it. Hold on one second. I got to get it right here. Just a couple yep. feet away. Do it, man. Do it. So where were we? I forgot. Well, I want to talk about the pulp. incredible pulp. Yeah, man. Tell me about this. It's a blood orange extra pale ale. And uh, you tell me about it, and then I'll tell you about it. Check it out. Um, look at that logo or that label, man. Damn. Well, uh, yeah, uh, Anna Duvall out of uh, Portland, Oregon badass artist she she could do she can draw something like that at the bar on a bar napkin in about 45 minutes Insane. Um, um oh okay well you know first of all brewing me you know I'm, I'm okay with adjuncts for the most part i'm an old school brewer you know a lot of how i was trained style guidelines that's f in it there's no deviation for style guidelines we all know that's been thrown out the window yeah okay. i know and that and that's me dude i'm right there with you man as a homebrewer growing up in the late 90s you're like what the f you know why the fuck is this beer hazy this is bullshit or why is there <laughs> fuck why is there hazelnut in this in this porter like i don't understand it just you know yeah uh, and it's it's taken me a while to accept that there are other things out there not that i enjoy them but they they exist Absolutely. Um, yeah. So, you know, for me, fruit's always been okay. And I like coffee. Coffee's kind of been okay for me, but uh, yeah, I am like you, I believe, uh, more open to it than I ever have been. So uh, what the hell? Um, <laughs> right. So on this incredible pulp, the, you know, we just went to that because I've always enjoyed working with fruit, right? Mm -hmm. um, we made a cherry wheat at that real Salado beer back in, you know, 2003 or something like that. Um do, do, do. Oh, so, you know, I've been fortunate to travel the world with this brewing gig and go do all those McKellar beer fests in Tokyo and, wow. and, 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 and Copenhagen and all these other projects around the world. And one of those projects got me to uh, London to brew with uh, Beaver Town. Oh, yeah, for sure. Logan Plant is, you know, the son of Robert Plant. He's devastatingly handsome and charming and making great beer. And, yeah. And, but his uh, flagship is called uh, Bloody L. It's a blood orange IPA. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. It's a beer that's, you know, one of our most kind of shock value beers called Notorious. It's a triple IPA we've been making since 2011, um, you know, 12% plus um, IPA. Um, and over in Europe and some of those travels, those guys really took uh, Notorious. You know, you go to the brew fest, you put – Boneyard from Oregon, and everyone goes, what's on tap? And they see Notorious. And, uh, so the construct of the collaboration brew at Beavertown was to mash up of their beer, Bloody L, our beer, Notorious. So I guess it ended up becoming a double IPA um, and with Blood Orange. Okay. 
And, um, but you know, you go do these projects and it's a collaboration. So you have your input, they have their input. It could be design or raw materials or process. But when I came home from that project, I was just really more curious about that blood orange and remembering that no disrespect, Logan or Tiago, uh, that, uh, I really wanted to use the blood orange in some different kind of process applications, right? Okay, so sure. Well, let's get involved, get dirty in the brew house. So we ended up making this blood orange uh, extra pale ale. The only reason I really did that is because we have, you know, we had session IPAs at, at four and a half. We had a pale at five and a five, five and a half. We have uh, an IPA at six and a half. And I didn't really have anything in that 6% alcohol thing. So I was like, well, I think this is what this extra pale ale category is. <laughs> we decided to make this uh, blood orange uh, pale ale and kind of make it around that ABV and experiment with the blood orange um, applications a little bit differently than I did in London. And so obviously the hops kind of, and uh, the hops are more of your citra mosaic tropical thing that mixes with the citrus or the fruit. And the whole thing just becomes one harmonious mix. I often ask myself, though, as a not just as a brewer, but as a as a as a bean cruncher, because this beer is not cheap at six percent alcohol. You can't really command a higher PTR price to retailer or something like that, mm -hmm. um, just because it costs us a lot to produce. It's not ten percent. <laughs> it's not super unique. It's just super good and costs a lot. Um, so sometimes I'll look at the recipe construct and go, "Geez, to maybe." How about this? Sometimes with that beer, I don't know where the hops begin and end and the fruit begins and ends. Yeah. But the whole yeah. thing, in my opinion, works really well together. So I can't mess with the recipe, but I want to go, is this thing fruit forward or is it hop forward? And maybe if it's, can I shave some, this is embarrassed to admit, but you just look at these constructs sometimes. You have to, man. So I don't know where the hops begin and the fruit ends on this beer. The thing just fucking works. Yeah. And it's got a blend of a, you know, so we use, if I remember right, it's a 66, 33% um, ratio on the base malt. So uh, I think it's 66% Pilsner malt and 33% raw pale malt. Just, just once again, just trying to do a little something different in the brew house and the same base malt every day, right? Yeah. Uh, um, we uh, dry hop that beer. We pitch the fruit. So the additions are kind of uh, tough. There's two different blood orange additions and one dry hop. So, uh, I think the first blood addition, blood orange, goes in kind of active, like day three. Okay. And I think we have another blood orange day four, and then I think we pull that stuff out the cone and dry hop on day five. Wow. You know what? And it 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 comes through. And what 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 surprised me about this beer when I first took a sip, I've have not had a lot of experience with blood orange just in the wild, much less in beer. Maybe you know I've had a couple, um, and you know it's it's fine for me. Um, it comes across as like sweet in other beers, uh, just to you know clarify. Um, but in in your beer, it, you said it best when you said, "I don't know where the hops begin, or the 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 fruit ends and the hops begin." That transition period, you know, you've hit it because it's that tart that the blood orange has. Once you hit that, that's unmistakably blood orange. But the the tastes leading up to that could be either or. I've gotten these same sort of flavors from recipes without blood orange in it, but they sort of are vaguely citrusy, vaguely blood orange. And the way that you've sort of tailored this experience of drinking the, the, the you know, using the blood orange in the beer, and it sounds like your process is, is you know, a, a result of that. Um, you don't, yeah, is this fruit forward or not? I have no idea. Is this hoppy? I can't tell, but it's good. 
I, I don't know if that's good or bad what you just said. I'm going to go with it because it's accurate. Uh, yeah, exactly. And I don't know either. And sometimes I fall into this trap all the time where, you know, actually we were, my wife and I were having uh, some, some champagne the other night uh, because we're fancy. And, you know, I'm like trying to pick apart the champagne and she's like, you're trying to find flaws. And I'm like, I think I am, but I'm trying to just understand it. Not necessarily find flaws, but maybe that's what I'm sort of, maybe that's what I'm doing is, is looking for a flaw. But in my mind, I'm trying to understand it through its flaws. But this is like a different thing. I'm, I'm trying to pick it apart flavor by flavor, layer by layer to figure out what you said. And like I said, it's perfect. Is it fruit forward or is it hop forward? I don't know. And I want to know. And it's going to keep me up at night not knowing, not, not figuring it out. It's very good, man. You know, uh, another one, uh, you know, uh, Boneyard. I mean, any, everything that we do really oh. just comes historically from a boardroom of two people. Um, we've never really ha- – we don't have sales and marketing or branding angles. We very much just do us, and we do it pretty well, which I like. I mean, you've seen some – manufacturers maybe it's beer maybe it's something else that it's just trying to hit the market with what's hot and what's trendy you know what i mean and so um we don't do that and the the reason i kind of got going on that is so we just put things out there and see what happens and uh and um this incredible pulp brand or liquid has been one that just sort of organically carved its own way into the into the manufacturing schedule barrel by barrel each month and each year to probably be nick handles those numbers are number two or number three brand i wouldn't have guessed that not by the not by the taste but by the fact that it's a blood orange extra pale ale i would not imagine that that would be in the top five of a sales sheet i don't know why just because well you know i think um you know, the consumer's changing. How about this? Mm. Um, maybe it's not about that beer. It's about the other beers that we don't have. Everything else we put on the table, straightforward, old school, West Coast IPA. There's a lot of drift in the space right now where you got to put out these dessert beers or these. Well, we don't really have any of these. So I guess this is our offering in that okay. that area. In the, right? some, in the something weird realm mm-hmm. of like, okay. It's done really well, man. It's it's probably one of the more like skillfully added fruit addition beers I've had. And I mean that very genuinely cuz because I'm still tasting it and it's bitter that the the bitterness is very firm and I enjoy it. But that blood orange is still there and it sort of just like ebbs and flows even still on my palate. It's cool. That's a rad beer. Wish I had one. I'm drinking a <laughs> what, what are you drinking? I'm drinking uh, Oslan, Aslan, Oslan out of uh, uh, Bellingham, Washington, batch 15 IPA. Nice. We went up there a couple months ago and did a collaboration brew with those guys. And you know what was really cool about that is pre-COVID, I'll tell you, as much as I love my industry and I've been really fortunate, I was getting a little burnt on beer fest or collaborative or, or travel. And so this was the first project we did. You know, I wouldn't say we've come out of COVID by any means, but this is the first project we've uh, done since COVID, really, along those lines, right? Traveling, going to another brewery, hanging out with the team, pushing around town a little bit. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, look, I I appreciate you saying we're not out of COVID yet. Uh, A lot of people don't understand that. I was on... uh, And it bums me out. 
was on uh, lockdown last week. Well, I can't find the right verbiage, but yeah, I, had, <laughs> I, I did take a little time out last week. I was exposed to something that. Oh, damn. Uh, I mean, I'm fully vaxxed, whatever. Uh, yeah. But, you know, from my desk, when you're, you know, we got 30, 50 employees, depending on how you walk it, mark it up. And, uh, you know, um, I, got, I got a show by example. How about that? Or I tried to anyhow. Yep. yep. That makes a good leader, man. That's for sure. Um, all right. I was going to just transition into the bona fide pale ale and then, and we're gonna take a break after this, but I realized we, we have so much other, so many other different brands to go through with you, different beers to go through that. I don't know if I'm just going to, if I'm just trudging down. So I'm going to put it to you, um, either the bona fide, cause I want to get to the bottled beers. I know we have a goose. Let's go. Uh, I want to do that. I'm, I'm about to tell you how to, uh, we don't need a break. I can't speak for you. Uh, um, 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 I got to take one. I'm, I'm forced. You have those, uh, those lambics at, but I'm sure you know what I prefer them at about, you know, 50 plus degrees or something like that. Probably what it's going to be. Um, but so I can probably get to one of those. Um, so I have, I have your enzymatic, I have your RPM or I have the bona fide. What do you want to talk about considering that the next break, I want to try one of your CBD beers. We're going to talk about that or not your beers, but the elixirs um, and then get to a bottled one. And then whatever we don't drink now, we'll drink then for the sixth beer. All right, we'll check it out. Um, we can decide this together. So okay, I love it. RPMs, like, you know, the, it, it, it built the house for Boneyard, right? Okay. Um, it's a really user-friendly IPA uh, for lots of reasons. It's not going to win a beer competition, but it always wins like the people's choice and these type of things. The balance is just incredible. Um, and the hopping is incredible. But um, the Bonafide Pale Ale is like the team's favorite. And the team could be extended to our distribution partners. Okay. And so the, the, the Boneyard, the Boneheads, and the and the and the and the extension of the boneheads distro people all love the bonafide pale ale. Um, the bonafide pale ale was designed uh, by me. Uh, it was our actual our flagship hoppy beer pre RPM. We were talking about this earlier. Sometimes the brewers are a year or two ahead of the consumer in terms of just this is where I want to be now. And a lot of the brewers, of course, would rather probably have a pale ale at a five plus percent alcohol. And have it taste like an IPA. So that was my construct in that Bonafide. When we came out and opened in 2010, that Bonafide Pale Ale was my offering of an IPA at the lower ABV. But what I soon learned is it needs to say IPA on the chalkboard or on the beer menu or whatever the prompter. So uh, we came out with RPM. Yeah. So Bonafide preceded that. I gave you the backstory on it. And um, it's a big uh, citra mosaic type uh, 5%. It's just baseball base right. 5 Munich citra mosaic. You know, maybe three pounds per barrel, total hops, uh, uh, pretty straightforward stuff. All right. Well, then I'm going to go with my initial decision because I love a pale ale. I love a lager. I love a pale ale. So I'm always going to, if I can, I'm always going to drink a pale ale. Yeah. Yeah. So a couple of our first brands, we used a local tattoo artist to uh, just drop some stuff. Who doesn't like pirates and skulls? They think you can see where we take, uh, take things or cars, RPM. Or combustion engines, I should say. <laughs> yeah, ice vehicles. So, all right, we've touched on it a, a couple of times, Tony. Let's talk about the name Boneyard. Where you where are you pulling that from? What does that mean to you? This is great. Thanks for asking. Uh, you know, prior to the final submittal, a brewer needs to do, like you develop your relationships, in this case, with the TTB. I used to keep a lot of lists for beer names or brewery names. Um, it came When a push comes to shove, you have to make your submittal. 
Um, clearly, some of the things you're looking at are um, other things that may or may not be in use, whether it's trademark or the dot-com availability and things like this. So this can limit some of your imagination. In fact, I wanted to call my the, the brewery Alien. Uh, I like to put a pun on some of these words. So I spell Alien, A-L-E-I-E-N. Okay, but, uh, yep. Um, but I, I didn't do that. And uh, so, anyhow, when it was time to submit a few of the things that I had on my list, let's just say top five. Boneyard was one of them. I wasn't that comfortable with it, but... The dot uh, com, the trademark, all those things seem to be pretty um, spot on for what would come next, and I had to make a decision and run with it. Couldn't have, couldn't have made a better choice in my opinion because it really tells the story of our project. Um, I, I don't know how much you know, but um, to get open, I think I scavenged equipment from at least thirteen different breweries around the country. Um, Deschutes, Nancasi, Three Floyds, I, you know, Three Floyds and I are, you know, there's Nick and I, there's, we got some business relationships. Um, um, I could go on and on and on. So I scavenged bits and pieces of equipment from all over the country, um, brought it home, hoarded it in, a, in my garage until <laughs> one day there was maybe enough to put together this five barrel brewery that I was going to launch in a, in an old automobile shop here in town. Okay. Um, so, you know, you've heard people, you've heard people referring to the, the, the kitchen guys or other people. They're like, hey, what do you got out back in your boneyard? Do you have an old stainless steel sink or do you? So it just really applied to our project, um, as well as if you look at the logo, um, yeah, you know, the, the, the skulls and crossbones, you know, the, the skull kind of says, you know, he's from the graveyard. You know, we, 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 we brought the equipment that was put out, was, was laid out to rest. We brought it back to life. Yeah. Uh, you got the you got the crossbone wrenches because we do all most almost all of our own in-house fabrication welding pipe fitting uh you know stainless copper pvc you know we do it all ourselves as much as we can obviously uh i didn't install the boiler we had to use some guys for that <laughs> some things are outside of my my, my skill sets but yeah. uh, we scavenged the equipment and we put it back together it's not because uh being re repurposing is ultra cool it's because uh, it was cheap and it was, it was how I was able to pull this off. Yeah. Well, and it's, yeah. And, and repurposing is not cheap anymore because <laughs> people got that market now, depending on where you go. Uh, yeah. That's cool, man. That's a good story. I like it. And I thought the, uh, the wrench on one end and like the, you know, the other side of the bone, because I'm stupid and I don't know anatomy uh, on the other side of the crossbones. I thought it was a nice touch. I thought that was cool. You know, and when we came out with this thing in 2010 in Oregon, um, the craft beer scene was well on its way, I guess, into its second decade uh, or finishing its second decade, at least for me. But a lot of things were still really kind of simple. The you know, follow what was worked before with your your uh, your logos and branding that are tied to your you know your geographical point of origin, mountains and streams and things and stuff. And we came out swinging this way, and definitely this was the right place at the right time when this stuff hit the streets in Portland with this one truck that we did with all these logos all over it. I mean, people stopped and, and quit. Yeah. Right it, place, right time with the right brand. And the right is, liquids. Yeah. Well, for sure. Yeah. That's going to, that's going to make a break. I mean, it is a very uh, eye catching design. It is a very aggressive design and, you know, but the, the liquid inside is, isn't, it's assertive, but it's, it's very, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's a very good match. You know, you guys, you guys are, are here to say something about how you're approaching beers. And I think the logo lets you know that <laughs> up front. You have something to say. 
They definitely get a kick out of it in Europe. Oh, really? Yeah, I think so. You know, <laughs> you go through some of these festivals, and a lot of them are in the northwestern Europe, Scandinavia, where there's some pretty bold people, but also some uh, cultures are a little bit more subdued, sure. um, dark and cold and things like that. And, uh, and then everyone's curious about, you know, American craft brewers or American stuff. So when we pulled into town with uh, all these skulls and crossbones and hops and attitude, uh, they took a liking to us pretty quick. Nice, man. I like it. That's a good story. So the uh, the Bonafide, you were saying, was your hoppy beer before your IPA, before your RPM? Did I remember that sure, right? I think that was batch number three. I think uh, we brewed this black ale we do, and then we did like this fruited wheat beer, and then batch three was that Bonafide Pale Ale. Again, that was me just being a brewer. I just wanted to yeah. put a lower ABV hoppy offering. Um, that's what I wanted to drink and that's what I made. But uh, we had to put an IPM table probably six months after that. That's just history. You know, I always talk a lot of shit about IPAs and people think it's because I don't like hops. And that's not true. I don't like high, like a lot of high alcohol. I love drinking beers, but I don't necessarily like to get like wasted. You know what I mean? I, I love beer. I love the way it tastes. I love hops. I don't often find a beer that is in my price range for alcohol, so to speak, right? Like, you know, mm-hmm. five, eight is probably like, uh, eh, I don't know. I also have a lot of generalized anxiety. So I feel like, uh, but anyway, that's another story. Um, but five, five is like, that's perfect right in the zone. And this has a ton of flavor and has a ton of bitterness as well. Like you could put that in front of me and I would think as a non IPA drinker, that this is IPA. God, well, thank you. I mean, that's, yep, that's how I approached it and the construct. And, you know, to just kind of support your thing, you know, I, I've known this for a long time. I don't really have the ABV rules, but, you know, when you got to go stand at the brew fest all day and you're at the brewery <laughs> all day, you know, I mean, not the brewery. Bro. When you live, this is what you do yeah. very often all summer long, you learn quite quickly, tap it down. You what do you mean? Be drinking double IPAs all day long. That's oh. not going to work out so well. Yes. Yeah. You need a, uh, yes, absolutely. You need a festival beer. You need a, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, man. Yeah. And this, man. this would definitely be it for sure. I mean, that's, that this is, this is the go-to beer and a lot of beers that, that want to pack as much hops as I imagine are in here, uh, but with a lower alcohol and, and not like a whole lot of mouthfeel, uh, that are super dry and whatever, you can sometimes get that aspirin-y thing going on. And this doesn't have that. This has well, you know, that full hop flavor, and this just you're just drinking a beer that is very, very bitter. You know, I uh, 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 learned back in my days with that first real brewing opportunity I shared with you at Rio Salado in Tempe, Arizona. Yeah. I love dry beers. I love, dry, I love beers packed with hops. And um, we were making some technically sound beers, but the balance was just a little off. And, you know, I was, I was how many years in my brewing gig? my first shot at creating my own recipes. And after that project, I learned really quickly that the balance is everything. I Just because I chased really dry beer with a lot of hops, it goes back to what you just shared um, with, your, with me and your, our guest that, you know, that little astringency, that little aspirin thing. And so when I got to finally do Boneyard, I kind of looked back and remembered that we mm. built in a little bit more malt complexity, just a little bit yep. to dance with those hops. Yeah. Well, it worked, man. It worked. Yeah, that's a good beer. I like that beer a lot, man. Um, All right. I need to take a break. 
my bladder's about to leak, and also, you know, we got to get paid. So uh, hang on, everybody. It's the session. We're going to be right back with Boneyard Beer. Tony's hanging on. I have uh, a goose to drink. I have an IPA to crack. And then we have to talk about CBD elixirs. So hold on, everybody. It's the session. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Segmented, demented, fermented, fermented. It's the session. All right, thanks for sticking around, everybody. We are still here with Boneyard Beer. Tony is on the line here, and we are going to be drinking. We're going to be popping an IPA. And uh, Tony, I think, I don't know, what do you think, man? The enzymatic? That's a cool uh, artwork. You want yeah, to, well. Uh, or do you want to do the uh, RPM, the classic? Uh, Enzymatics will play on the brewing stuff, right? Metabolic, enzymatic, a couple IPA brands I've been putting on the table uh, for a few years now. They're just, they're kind of like seasonal projects. I wouldn't say they're tied specifically to a season, but, you know, they're not year-round. Yeah. yeah. That's cool art, though, man. Uh, well, you want to do that one? Sure. Oh, right, yeah, not? please. Actually, I'd love to get your, your, get your uh, take on it. Um, Again, we were brewing at draft only, you know, every 18 months or something pre-pandemic. And uh, now that we package beer, this brand has been kind of tilted up to be a little bit more of a seasonal offering. So okay. it's kind of like our fourth quarter IPA. So we just started, uh, that's probably the second run of it. You know, um, well, no one else is here to taste it, so I'm not going to ruin their opinions. Maybe you should take a big <laughs> sip off it and I'll keep talking. Yeah, do it, man. Well, we just uh, made some adjustments to the brew day uh, last week. I think we brewed it on uh, Tuesday or something. And uh, my take on the first batch or two this season after sitting down with a couple points where it needs some adjustment. Um, okay. Um, you know, it's using um, um, Strata 586, uh, Mosaic, and a bunch of those really heavy hitting hops that are in my opinion, amazing until you cross over some threshold somewhere where the hops just become, become one dimensional and the beer no longer takes you on a journey. I like our beers to take you all have peaks and valleys and take you on a journey. Yep. So whether I'm wrong or not uh, with this beer, I felt that way. <laughs> right. I thought it was hop derived, you know, um, as good as a hot mosaic it can be or is, until it gets so mosaic-y that you're just like, okay, wait a minute, i got to take a step back. Yeah. And so when you look at 586 and you look at Strata and you look at Mosaic, they all have that fit, that, that fingerprint, which is amazing hop, um, at least for me, until you get so much of it in the glass that the first pint, the first half of pint is super interesting, super unique, super hop forward. By the time you get to se the second half of the first pint, at least for me, I'm starting to wander on a little bit. Um, and then I'm probably not going to order another one. So I feel that way about this first batch or two enzymatic this year. Um, it, it's just really got that overpowering 586 Strata uh, 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 mosaic thing. Uh, so we just did a couple of adjustments. I, I think we're, we subbed the we subbed in Citra for mosaic. Uh, who doesn't like Citra? And it just 
it's going to have a little softer influence and maybe a dance with those other hops a little bit more correctly. Okay. And uh, there's also a Zaka in this beer. And so we decided to take the Zaka and dry hop it on day three. So a little bit of a active fermentation dry hop. So really small changes. Um, but I'm just hoping it kind of gives a little bit more brightness in terms of like when you look at a stone fruit that's been bruised and it, you know, it's just, mm-hmm. yeah, but when it's super fresh. It's got that just, it really just gri- takes you on that, that epic journey. And so I just feel like this beer is a little bit of bruise and I'm trying to get just one notch back from that bruise and bring the brightness back. I, I understand what you're saying for some reason. <laughs> and, uh, when I, when I first tried it, I was like, okay, just hold on a second. It was like an overload. The, the, the hops and the malt played really, really well. Um, then the bit, the bitterness came through and everything sort of, you know, I don't know, faded, but I think I see what you're saying about the, 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 the bruising, maybe at the end it, 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 I don't want to say it falls apart, but I think I can because you've already said you want to make changes on it. So I don't feel too bad, (laughs) but it's, but it's that, it's that when you take that first sip and it's just, everything is in the ball. All of the flavors are working really, really well together. And it's that flavor, that malt that pushes through and the high alcohol, it's like 7%. And it just sort of like carries that warmth I'm getting a little bit right here. Um, it's a very good, it's a very good recipe. I think, I think it all works, but I think you're right. I think it's a little too over the, a little too much. And I, I don't, and I'm not familiar with like a lot of the newer, I know the new hop names, but like I said, I'm not really an IPA guy. So I don't, I don't drink beers quite often with like Strata or whatever, except on the show, but they're usually in blends. And so it's hard for me to like really, you know, figure that out anyways. Um, so I can't speak on that, but it, I, I like, I like the flavor profile that you have in this beer. I think it's, it's I good. think it's super unique. Yeah, dude. It's like, it's, it's sort of it's like biscuity. Yeah. I mean, there's like a biscuity thing to it. There's a little bit of a, a you know, a grapefruit, but like, um, but like, uh, like overripe cantaloupe almost. Like overripe cantaloupe. Like, like, yeah, bruised cantaloupe. Yeah, yeah, with some honeydew factors in there. And it's always like hop derived too. I mean, I know the recipe. I know my yeast. I know our water. I know how we brew. And, um, you know, our our base beer malt recipes are pretty simple. So that sweetness you're picking up on is, I I currently believe, derived from that, the hops that we're speaking about. And they're just (sighs) delivering a certain layer of yumminess until it's just you get the idea i can't really explain it any better than yeah I attempted to. look dude yumminess works on this show like we are very lowbrow people so yumminess is, works for me yeah this beer like that that you guys seriously pick up some of this beer that initial three quarters flavor is so sweet and and everything just churns really well um i think the label sort of really showcases honestly what the how the flavors sort of work it is sort of alchemy in a can, and I, I like it. That's very good. I mean, the, 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 we had making that other beer I was sharing with you, metabolic. So, you know, I just, I think they're catchy words, enzymatic, metabolic. They tie out to a brewer's education, and they weren't in use, and I just started using them. Because <laughs> and they weren't in use. <laughs> first new stuff with cool sounding words that tie out to the alchemy of brewing. Yeah, absolutely, man. Which kind of just quickly um, 
Jason, you know, when, when we're talking about that beer, I just wanted to, you know, you're like, what's your philosophy on brewing here? You didn't really ask me that directly, but we might, we might've got to that. So I've got a real simple thing. Let's do it. That I call kind of clean, balanced, and interesting. That's my order of operations as a consumer mm-hmm. uh, or I attempt to be as a producer. Um, number one, I'll drink any beer, whether it's made by me or anybody else, as long as it's clean, right? I mean, I, I, I don't care if it's yeah. not interesting. And, uh, you know, you know, it needs to be in balance too. But if it's clean, I can drink it. If it's a little out of balance, so be it. Right. Maybe it's a little too dry or a little too sweet. But it's clean. I can have it. Um, I certainly think that a beer needs to be balanced as well, right? So yes. now you've got – if you got clean and balanced, you're, you're – you're, you, you've done brewing this is very challenging to attempt just that. Right. And so uh, then you can layer the interesting on top. And if you can achieve all three of those, you have a home run. So uh, we just try and make clean, clean balance, balance beers, and hopefully it can create that interesting dynamic. So in regards to that enzymatic topic, at least uh, you I think you guys know how I believe about it. It's pretty clean. I know our yeast strain or our water, um, but somehow we try to get too interesting and now the balance is just off. So yep. we'll, we'll rework those last two a little bit and see if we can't get closer to how I prefer our beers to. Uh, to <laughs> yeah. And, and like I said, you're there because that, that hop combination that you have is super interesting. It's very cool. And you know, uh, yeah, I, it's great. Um, you know, a lot of people, uh, you know, they poo poo the word balance, which I'm not, I don't do it. I, I think balance is a super appropriate word for homebrewing or for, for beers in general. I, I'm pulling homebrewing because that's my that's my forte. But you know, it's like, oh well, what is in balance? I mean, an IPA by nature isn't balanced, and everything is not even, and that's not what I mean. And I'm I'm assuming that's not what you mean either. It's not like the 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 ingredients are all spread out evenly, but things do balance. You do have to have if you have you know uh, you know uh, higher alcohol, more hops help push that, or you know it, it can't just be like here is you know four grains of of uh, pale a uh, pale malt. And then a pound of hops. You can't do you can't do that. You do need to have things that play off one another, and things can be focused, and things can't be. But I, I hear what you're saying. Balance, uh, you know, is is key. And so, uh, you know, I, I'm with you. I'm with you on that. Um, cool. Okay, so here now we're down to it. Now we're down to the weird shit. Ten four. Because I have either, and I think this is the. The last, the last, is this the last one? See, I already forgot. How many beers have we had already? We just had that one. Okay, great. Yeah, so this is the last, these are the last two. So either we're doing, either we're doing the, um, the elixir, the Boneyard elixirs, or we're doing one of these bottled, these bottled guys here. Well, no, Uh, which one should we do first? Well, I'll let you decide, and I'll give you a quick little explanation. Uh, the elixirs are fun. We built a pub three years ago, and uh, Jared and I were building the pub, and we're like, okay, let's do some root beer, ginger ale, cream sodas. Um, we started nibbling on some, not not like nibbling, eating, but, you know, thinking about noodling on CBD was getting, and we had some fall off equipment from our project. So we rented another, uh, leased another spot and got to work with these elixirs, these non-alcoholic beverages with 25 milligrams CBD. Um, but I think they're great. I'm not, some people are like, oh, they're sodas, Tony. I'm like, no, 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 no. I mean, we do make some, some of these non-alcoholic beverages that are more to the soda side. But the lemon ginger you just cracked, or yes. the orange can there, which is the passion for frac, passion fruit, orange turmeric. So you know you got the lemon ginger, you got your orange turmeric. You can see the little pun with the CBD on elixir. Plus, we just think it's a cool sounding word. Um, and those ones are both 50 calorie. We got the zero calorie one. They're just great. I like them. I think 
you know, the, there's a lot of stuff on the shelves right now that uh, we're just missing all the zero calorie stuff and all that. But I really like coming in at our 50 calorie mark. We definitely present a fair amount of flavor without being too much. Um, and uh, anyhow, we're just having a lot of fun with that side project. Okay. And, uh, well, it's kind of- yeah, you convinced me to just to open it right away because why not? Um, and <clears throat> yeah, I, so I cracked the lemon ginger because I love a, a ginger beer, dude. Why not? And uh, man, I swirled that and I, I took a big hit off the nose. That ginger went right into my nose, man. I love it. I love a real strong ginger aroma. Well, we pulled back on it just because uh, we were a little more aggressive with the ginger in the beginning. <laughs> Maybe we'll go back. Um, so, you know, again, like for us, oh, yeah. it was, uh, we weren't, we haven't gotten the social game. We didn't have extra capacity. We had some extra equipment and we had a desire to produce some non-alcoholic beverages for our pub. And then, I don't know, one thing led to another and we have a new project. How's the CBD, you know, side of things, the elixirs, how's that working for you? People, people into it. I mean, imagine it's been, it's sort of is, but even outside of like the local market are people picking up on that? Yeah. You know, it's got its own set of challenges. We definitely think we identify those challenges and we're certainly willing to, to um, push forward. Anyhow, an example would be, um, you know, originally we were in Washington state, and then the Washington State Liquor Control Board started leaning on distribution warehouses that carried products like this and told them that they were going to yank their ability to distribute liquor because they had CBD in the same warehouse space. So there's definitely been a lot of challenges there. Um, but we're not, we're waiting those out, um, you know, shipping these things across state lines, for example. Um, so we continue to operate. Um, we're solvent. Um, it all came from equipment basically that we already had in, in our, in, in our ownership. Um, so mm. we've got a lot of buffering capacity to, um, have some fun. Um, not necessarily be first to market, but one of the first we've got relationships with distribution and relationships with our consumers to the beer side. So we're having fun and, uh, we'll see how yeah. it all shakes out. And I like it. We don't do anything we don't like. I really do like them. Uh, especially with some tequila. Oh, really? You little sort of a uh, little addendum, right? Little floaters here and there. I oh, like it. Good. Yeah, throw a little tequila in. That's cool. Yeah, that dude, that tastes that tastes really good. It's like a, um, it's like a just a light lemonade. A little bit of ginger spice in there, mm-hmm. and that's it. And so I'm not like super super well versed, which is weird being in California um, on the CBD thing. Like I, you know, I'll take a little like CBD gummy every now and then, but they're like ten micrograms or whatever, right? They're yeah. like the baby version. Um, if if someone is uninitiated in CBD but they want to try this, what are your explain the effects? Yeah, well, okay. I'd love to try and you know I stopped smoking marijuana about twelve years ago. I had a good buddy of mine show up at my house six years ago and you know pre all this project and he goes hey tony you gotta try some of the cbd and i go no i don't do that stuff anymore he goes oh, dude it's not marijuana and we went back i never tried it we yeah. so anyhow um um you know and i'm 54 now and um clay jared and i have done a lot of homework on this stuff and clay started giving it to his dog that was arthritis and all these things so this is a lot of our approach for the usage of cbd i personally don't feel any psychoactive effects it doesn't really help me sleep i don't definitely doesn't make you high um <laughs> right. i do believe that you know at a dosage rate of 25 50 100 milligrams a day over a period of a month or something like that i we really do notice the anti-inflammatory properties of it so i you know huh. we got to be careful we make what we call wellness beverage 
Um, here on this show, I'm going to tell you what I believe. Yeah. Um, but there's certainly, um, we cannot claim that it has medical, you know, advantages or anything like that. So let, sure. let, let's get that out of the way right now. Right. But that's my experience. Um, I, I certainly feel better. Um, you know, I don't, if I don't take it for a month and I drink one, I don't feel better. I certainly just feel better with the cumulative buildup of CBD in my body. I think my, my, my joints and everything just feel more lubricated. That's kind of my story. That's mm. my experience. And um, I certainly believe it to be true. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've used it a couple of times for like to help with anxiety and that's why I sort of got into it too. Cause I, I never really liked the feeling of being high because it sort of accentuated my anxiety and my just general, like, you know, I got, I got, you know, smooth brain. It's all fucked up on anxiety kind of thing. So um, getting high never really like did it, but the taste of pot is fucking great. <laughs> so I do miss that. But I've, so I've been like smoking these CBD joints. Uh, dad grass is like the popular brand. It's the one I used. Uh, the one I first got, I was like, yeah, this, this is, reminds me of like smoking weed and I, it's kind of cool. And then you get the gummies and anyway, but yeah, it's, uh, I agree with you. It's not like psychoactive and you don't feel super high. It does sometimes help with my anxiety. Um, I, I don't do it like every day, like, you know, like you're doing for joints or whatever, but I have read that as well. Some people, it doesn't work. Some people, it does work, but, uh, you know, the, the, I, I guess the meat of the whole thing is that these are really refreshing things to drink. You're not going to feel some type of way when you're, if you, if you drink a can, you're not going to be like, well, I can't hold on. I got to like take a rest or whatever. I've never, you know, in fact, I got to tell you the truth, I giggle to myself sometimes. I won't um, co- correct or comment on someone that sometimes will go, hey, Tone, I, Tony, I, I drank a can of that CBD. I feel better. I'm like, no, nah, you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but I'm glad you think you did. Yeah, it, absolutely, man. Yeah, and, and, that's, and that's part of like the, you know, the anxiety side where it's like, do I feel better because of the CBD or do I feel better because I think I took something that should help me? And that's very much how my anxiety runs and maybe for other people too, where it's just like, I, I, I get spinning on that shit where it's like, it just feeds off itself. So if I can break that cycle with anything, I don't care if it's a placebo or not, it's not going to make me high. It's not going to make me feel fucked up, but it tastes good. Last week, someone shared with me that I, you know, that I had dinner with that they tested positive for the COVID. Immediately, within like an hour, I was like, I don't feel very good, dude. Yes, bro. <laughs> yes. <I'm> <laughs> yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely. This is, uh, you know, the the cool part, I guess, about having you know anxiety during a pandemic is like you're extra afraid of the air. <laughs> it's just like I don't know, whatever. Um, yeah, Tom, I'd love this. Are you a Lambic uh, yes. uh, fan? I love a Lambic, dude. And so now I'm trying to figure out, should we do the, the, the Goose or should we do the, uh, the Raspberry uh, Wild Ale? Okay. Um, uh, 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 well, you know, they're both pretty good temps. Uh, the Goose is stro- trying to be straight and, uh, straight and narrowed, uh, a, a Goose Lambic, while the, uh, the, um, the, uh, um, the Goose Cruise... Yeah. It's more of a play on my attempt at a Flemish Flanders. And I really, as much as I try to do homework on the difference between Flemish and Flanders, yeah. I just kind of I just kind of push them together for something from Boneyard. As you'll see, it says from from Ben, not Brussels. So <laughs> <laughs> uh is that the funky bunch? 
Yes, the Funky Bunch has the raspberries, uh, so it's a fruited Flemish Flanders thing. Let's try that. Uh, yeah, sounds good. Let's try that. Uh, you know, um, after all these years of IPAs and stuff, I truly do love the Lambics, and as a brewer, to try and produce these styles, they're certainly very challenging. Um, there was a lot of uh, crazy momentum and interest in the craft beer space with these um, you know, sour beers that came out uh, seven, eight years ago, maybe previous that, that were one-dimensional, in my opinion, lactic acid beers. Yep. Um, and I really preferred to try and participate in that space, but chase the Belgian style with all the multiple organic acids and different breads and wild yeast and bacteria that create a much more complex experience. Uh, yeah, I agree 100%. That uh, it's an easy it's an easy beer style to sort of like become one dimensional, and I think you have to work really hard at it to not let it be that way. So, uh, tell me a little bit about the Funky Bunch. All right, well, check it out. Uh, so you're from Bay Area. Are you from? The, I'm gonna we'll, we'll introduce some other brewers in the conversation. Do you remember uh, Steve Altamiri? Yeah, yeah, right. He's a pretty popular brewmaster in the Bay Area. Uh, what's he got? Knee Deep or something now? Or no, no, not Knee Deep. High Water or something? High Water, yeah. Um, but he was down there brewing um, in Stockton at Valley Brewing Company. Yes. And for a while, for a while I was running around the country and sometimes rolled, you know, um, doing various, um, performing various duties in breweries, whether I was building it or in this case was hired after Altamiri had split directions with Al- Valley, uh, Valley Brewing Company to come down there and try and keep the place operational while we searched for a new uh, brewmaster or something like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, Steve was really good, as you know, hops, stouts, uh, wild. I mean, the guy's really good. And in the back room at this brewery, there, uh, which was now I had the keys to this brewery. I'm the only guy in there. Steve's gone. Uh, we became good friends later. But at first, he's like, oh, who's this guy they brought down from Oregon to kind of, you know. And, yeah. uh, but back there in the back room was a couple of um, like three liter plastic arrowhead containers with was what clearly looked like to me. Um, some sort of library of wild yeast and bacteria. Hmm. One of them was Mark Sour number five. I put some in a water bottle, bought it home, pitched it into an oak barrel with some fruit and some other stuff. And thus the project began. Before I had my four um, 60 hectoliter fooders, now uh, we're just messing around in 50 barrel, uh, 50 gallon, 55 gallon uh, wine casks and things. Um, so anyhow, I, uh, I make years later, I make friends with Steve. And I go, hey, Steve, you know, um, you know, I, I took some of that sour number five home. What was that? And he goes, I don't remember. About a day or two later, he emails me. and goes, well, Tone, I put a five-gallon bucket of wort out in the parking lot out back behind the brewery. This is by the shipyards in Stockton and propagated up this strain. Well, here we are like eight years later. And this is what, this is the strain um, that I sort of morphed along the way. You know, I think I added some more Brett Brooks to it or something like that. Okay. And produced these beers with, essentially. Um, all your well, sour beers, excuse me, all your sour beers or this one in particular, no, the, the truth be told the two beers you have there. Um, yeah. we have two fooders that have the funky bunch, two fooders that have the goose cruise. Mm-hmm. It's actually the goose cruise, which has the Stockton origin. Okay. The beer you're drinking now, I took a much different approach to, okay. I call it a BSI and I ordered Brett Lambicus and Brett Dre <laughs> and I mixed them and that's what you're drinking. Hell Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but I love the style about sourcing the um, the stuff for the for the goose cruise, man. I can't wait to I can't wait to drink that. Uh, you know, whenever I whenever I get to it, 
pretty good. Uh, our fooders are well seasoned now, and uh, we're doing more of a Solera thing, so we don't have a cool ship. We'll make the wart in the brew house, empty the fooder, uh, pump over the wart, and um, that fooder is just really ready to sieve that wart. It's well primed, seasoned, um, lots of critters in there just hanging out waiting for it to be fed. Man, I, I appreciate a lot of things about the, about this beer. Number one, it says five seven on the bottle, which I like. Yeah, but um, it's I mean the the raspberries come through that that general sort of red berry esque you know flavor at the end. the The beer is light enough on all the other flavors and the sour bacteria and the wild yeast and all the kind of funky stuff to let that shine. And I think a lot of times in beers like these you can sort of get bogged down by the malt flavors and you know you know how much brett is in there or maybe there's too much fruit and it sort of becomes this dark fruit i think you can take these dark and raisiny a little too easily but it feels like you went lighter on everything man you know it's been a quite a crazy couple of years and some of these projects me i just get involved get dirty and sometimes i mean these are true lambics. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're two, three years in the fooder, young and old. Mm-hmm. And um, so sometimes trying to remember what we we're doing four years ago is a little challenging for me. <laughs> just I will tell you this, though. Um, I, I should share you. It's Brett Dre and Brett Lambicus. Mm-hmm. And um, I got to tell you, I think I like the flavor of the Lambicus better than the Dre. So we've been trying to see if we can't get more influence from the Lambicus um, out of these fooders by every time we empty them, which is not that often, by the way. Um, I'll pro- we'll, we will propagate up more Lambicus and put that in there and see if we can somehow swing the population more Lambicus than Dre. And one other thing we noticed while we're doing these, prop- uh, these Brett props is the Lambicus is really slow to take off and the Dre is really... Uh, sorry. No. Other way around. I like to... Dr- I like the Dre. That's okay. what I'm trying to go heavy on over the Lambicus. And the Lambicus starts off quick and metabolizes the sugars, I think outcompetes the Dre. So by the time the Dre is really getting going, and I'm, I, des- I desire those flavors and contributions more, the mm-hmm. Lambicus has already tore down a lot of the sugars, not leaving much more room for the Dre to do its work and, and, and provide its flavors. Got it, so yeah. we've been trying to slowly somehow get the, to express the Dre more than the Lambicus. Okay. All right. And how and Lambica sure re- reads really well when you read about the flavors, the cherry pie and the different things. Okay. So when looking at a, a Flemish Flanders thing, I just was like, I got to have that, right? Yeah, and it definitely comes through. Yeah, but I mean, you see what I mean about, I mean, you know, maybe it's, uh, maybe I'm just incorrect, but like, it just, it feels like a lighter version. And and that's what I like about it. You know, I'm not like a, um, you said the, the Flanders red, uh, you know, the beer, I forget the name now because, like I said, I'm stupid. Um, you're trying to do a... Oh, Flemish or Flanders? Yeah, Rodenbach? Did you say no, Rodenbach or did I just pull that out? The Rodenbach is pretty jammy. I mean, it's a, it's a yes. pillar of a thing, but it's like... But, so when you said Flanders, I think Rodenbach. I don't like Rodenbach. I think it's, like you said, too jammy. It's too... It's just... It's not my It's not my jam. Um, and so you said Flanders, and, and I was like, oh... That's what I'm comparing it to. And so I guess to that in my head, it's so much lighter and brighter, but just overall as a beer on its own, encapsulating that style, it's a brighter version of of that style. And I, I like it. It's, there's a lot going on. It's it's lively. It's energetic. It's very like, yeah, it's popping. 
I guess. As someone's, the probably gonna, someone's probably going to say, what's Tony talk about? But, you know, that style, the Flemish, the Flanders, the Belgian, I mean, it reads, it just sounds amazing. But to be honest, I didn't really have many actual liquid inspirations for the start of this project, like a brewer would normally have, like Lambic. I'm going right after Frank Bone or Boone or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. But uh, the, the I agree with you. The Rodenbach, not my inspiration. Um, Duchess, not my inspiration. No, no uh, yeah. So I got to take what I know about those and then pull it back a notch uh, as per the type of things I was looking for. So yeah. my inspiration for this project was just my imagination and the reading and the culture but not really a hard liquid that I could just go down to the homebrew store or wherever and to the bottle shop and buy this liquid and then write, sit down and look it up on the internet and write a recipe. That never really happened. So this had to happen our own pathway and that simply is what it is. Yeah. It's, it's a good beer, man. I really enjoy that beer a lot. Well, Tony, I think that sort of wraps it up. Um, I wish I could keep talking and, uh, and keep rolling, man. But uh, you know, in lieu of that, whenever the, if the pandemic actually ends at some point, or at least everything gets uh, a lot safer and you find yourself in the Bay Area, uh, I'd like to reach out and, and we'll try to get you in the studio proper. You know, we have an actual studio with like more than just me um, at the bar here in Con- or it, out in Concord at the Hop Grenade. Uh, so you can come in, we can have your beers on tap and we can really do like a, a you know, proper, you know, session. I think uh, yeah. I think that'd be a really cool environment to, to, to have you on as a guest for sure. Uh, thank you. I love the yeah. Bay Area. I get down there pre-COVID. A lot of these SF Beer Weeks right around the corner. We'll yeah. see how that sh- shows itself this year. I was just on the phone with Chad at Tornado for uh, um, their festivities. Nice. Um, throwing some lobs back and forth with both Altamont and Alvarado for some collaboration projects. Uh, the Altamont guys, you know, are kicking ass. Uh, uh, proudly, uh, I like to think they're little Tonys. I kind of got Steve going. He, oh, clearly, he was a way off. He's intelligent. He was home brewing, but we spent some time be a mutual friend at my twenty barrel brew house like nine years ago. And I let him grain out. And I'm like, you can do this, dude. Just go build a fucking brewery. What are you scared? <laughs> yeah. And now it's almost like a when the student teaches the teacher because those guys are putting out amazing products. And now I'll be calling down Steve, man. Come on. What's cool? What's hot? Help the old man out. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I feel you, man. Uh, Tony, where can people go to learn more about Boneyard Beer, man? Sure, I guess, uh, what, boneyardbeer.com, or uh, yeah. I don't even know what our Instagram handle on that stuff is, a Boneyard Instagram? I guess, but... <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm sure you just, if you search Boneyard Beer Instagram into Google or DuckDuckGo or whatever people use, uh, mm-hmm. You'll find that, but uh, definitely throw everybody follow. And uh, if you're in Bend, you know the beer, the pub culture in Bend's amazing. So we put a really nice pub on the map. Uh, I mean, you know, in town three years ago. I'm not from the food and beverage space. It's definitely outside my comfort zone, but um, we needed to do it. So if people come through Bend, they can come to Boneyard. Hell yeah, Tony. Thanks, man. I appreciate it again. Good chat. Thank you so much. Everybody. We'll see you in person in the Bay Area. Yeah, that'd be rad, man. Everyone, hang on real fast. It's the session. I'll be right back. I'm going to do some feedback and, uh, you know, stuff we haven't done in a while. So hang on. It's the session. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Brewing Network. Because like beer, radio shouldn't suck. All right, guys. Thanks for hanging around. I thought it might be fun to tackle a little bit of feedback. Since we haven't done it in so long, I did it, I think, one time or maybe two. I don't even really remember. Um, 
you know, early on in the pandemic. And uh, I asked you guys to write in and, you know, a couple of you did. <laughs> I think that was cool. Uh, mostly got spam. I checked the email today here before the show. And uh, I literally, literally was like 336 emails and maybe eight were actual human beings. And the rest was just fucking spam. And it sucks. But if you want to write into the show feedback at thebrewingnetwork.com, or if you really want me to see it and like, it's a timely thing or whatever, JP at thebrewingnetwork.com, but email me, let me know either your thoughts on the show. You got some guests you want us to book. I don't know, whatever, whatever you want to talk about, man, we can, we can talk about it. Um, yeah. And feedback today is brought to you, of course, as the show is and everything that we do basically is uh, brought to you by the folks at more beer. You go to morebeer.com. They have absolutely everything you need to make great beer at home. So check them out. Morebeer.com. They got those Comos line of kegerators. They have cannular uh, canning equipment. They have great ingredients, great hops, great people, great knowledge, all that kind of stuff. So check them out. Morebeer.com. Okay. Clayton writes in <laughs> the, uh, the subject is home glycol. And I don't know if I'm going to necessarily be, uh, you know, ready for this Clayton. I don't know why you're, you know, we're not Google but anyway. Can one of the shows on the bring network talk about home glycol use, please? Oh, okay. Well, great. He's uh, asking for a show topic instead of demanding answers from me, an idiot. Uh, maybe even bring someone in from more beer to discuss this. I'm curious about the new brew built X one Chronicles. And I'm not sure if I should get two of the plus models and a glycol chiller or even get the pro models. They don't require glycol. I know other brands do require glycol like the Anvil brand. So maybe John Palmer can shed some light on an easy way to set up a glycol system in the home. I'm curious about how long glycol lasts. Does it get contaminated with mold or does it age out? Is it good for six months or five years? How do I dispose of it or recycle it? Clayton likes to ask questions. And that's why I like Clayton, because he just, uh, this might be the, the longest Clayton email I've ever read in my entire life. I'm also thinking of recirculating sub-freezing glycol through my immersion chiller to quickly chill to pitching temps. Is glycol good with all metals or better with stainless than copper? And how cold should it be? Blah, blah, blah. Not related to glycol, I'm also curious on those brew-built X1 Pro models. How long do they expect those Peltier chillers to last, and how much money are they to replace when they wear out? I look forward to the show. Homebrewing is getting pretty advanced or pretty cheap. So I think more people can benefit from this info than ever before. And I can give his phone number out to you guys. First of all, it's nine. No, um, I don't know about the brew built, uh, you know, pro models. If they're working on the same Peltier technology, I have a, um, a Morbier conical that was actually pushy Jack's old conical. That Peltier is still working great. Terrence, is using my old 10-gallon conical, uh, not frequently, but when he does, that thing still works, and that's 10 years old or whatever. So uh, they last pretty long, dude. They were probably going to outlast your your interest in brewing, for sure. Well, not for sure, but uh, whatever. Anyway, I will send all this stuff to John Palmer because this sort of smacks of like a Bruce Strong show. But I do have Drew Beecham coming on. I'm hoping next week he's supposed he's slated for this Wednesday, but I asked him, I'm like, look, I'm, I'm not really drinking a whole lot right now. <laughs> so, um, can we push it to next week? So we'll see if he can push it to next week, but, uh, I can ask him about that and like that. But anyway, Clayton, there you go, man. Thanks for the email. Appreciate it. Uh, this is from Greg 
And he says, all right, I finally have to ask. Now, this is, by the way, keep in mind, this is from month six. So what is that? June. Uh, I finally have to ask, JP, are you screwing with us? Or did you forget to trim the audio for the Moon Boots IPA ad? Um, and uh, yeah, I absolutely, <laughs> I absolutely did. I fucked up. I had a fuck up. And um, I, I recorded the Moon Boots IPA ad. And I found this like sort of pseudo trippy music. Um, and I, I thought I clipped it at the end, so it faded out and it fucking didn't. So for three minutes, <laughs> for three minutes after, after the commercial, it was just the, the fucking music, man. And I'm sorry. I, 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 nobody has ever written in about it, Greg. You're the, literally the first person. And, um, I haven't told anybody. And my, my plan was if more people started writing in, I was going to like say something, but I never did, and I'm curious to what you did, Greg. Um, what did you listen to the whole thing? Did you know just to advance the 30 seconds a couple of times because it was you know it was a lot, or 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 what did you do? What did people do? Did they just listen to it? What did you think? I want to know. Now I want to interview you, Greg. Where's your phone number? I'll call you. But yeah, I felt, uh, and I only caught it when I changed the Moon Boots uh, 21A ad to the um, whatever's playing now. I forget what it is. The tropical, no. Ugh, sorry, Sully. I forget. But anyway, there you go, Greg. You got me. Uh, this one is from Alton. He says, hey, JP, I heard you are buying an all-electric Bruzilla system and was wondering about a show with people such as yourself who use them to compare features. I bought the Anvil 10-gallon 220-volt system, and I must admit, a bit of buyer's remorse when comparing it to the Bruzilla. Interesting. Huh. I miss the lack of a Whirlpool arm, and I'm currently awaiting delivery of the Bruzilla Whirlpool arm that I'll modify to use on the anvil. Yeah, see, there you go, man. Uh, Alton, P.S. Have Justin shout into the microphone or call in to the show so we have proof of life with him. Well, first things first, um, I do have a Bruzilla system. I have used it precisely one time. I've tried to use it... Uh, one time, and then the grains I bought weren't milled, and I had no way to mill them, and so I had to throw them all away, and I got, you know, upset. So uh, I haven't done it since then. Um, I don't know why, honestly. I think with my home brewing, it sort of always comes down to, like, packaging. It's like I don't want to do it. I don't want to package. You know, I, like, cleaned my draft system. I just don't want to do it. I don't know. Uh, I'm lazy about it. I'm lazy about it. But anyway, it's a fucking rad system and if you guys are into electric brewing and single kettle brewing the only hitch in your get up with a brusilla is going to be that you have to louder but you can correct that by you know adding water back into the fermenter or doing whatever you have to do i bought just like a three gallon stainless steel kettle that my plant i haven't used it haven't not done this yet um but my plan was to just heat water on the burner and the uh, you know inside on the stove and then come out and just louder over it, you know, and actually just hand do it. I don't mind because it's such a small space. It's such a powerful unit that you're done brewing in like six hours start to finish. It's red. I, I like it. I think it's a really cool system. So if you're into that kind of stuff, check it out. But yeah, uh, Alden, yeah, we can do a show on that or something like that. I don't know. Maybe, um, I don't know. I'll have to think about it. I have work to do. This next one is from Darren. He says, uh, catching up on the session after focusing on prostate cancer. Oh, man. And having to replace my broken beer fridge. Well, look, man, at least you put the important stuff first. You know what I mean? 
hopefully everything's fine with your prostate cancer, brother. That sucks, dude. I'm really sorry to hear that. Hopefully, uh, hopefully it wasn't too, too tough on you. I'm uh, not sure if you're still doing a tour or if it has wrapped up. Oh, yeah, this is uh, 6-6-2021. Either way, you need to visit Maine. A recent article claims it's having the most breweries per capita. And I will add that a lot of these beers are really, really great. Breweries like Allagash, Orno, Nunsuch, Maine Beer Company, Baxter, Sabago, and Foundation. I've literally heard of Allagash on that list <laughs> on that list but that's kind of neat man like Allagash is like super old school but it's still on the list of like places you have to go with breweries that have clearly opened up in the last I would I'm gonna guess five years I don't know uh, but I think it's really neat man uh, usually these sort of like legacy breweries don't keep up but leave it to Allagash to to be one of the people that do uh, plus we have lots of seafood like lobster much cheaper than anywhere else lobster how much for the lobster uh when we were when we was growing up see so uh, you know i didn't read that wrong I, I remember going to a family cookout and having my mom answering the what are we having to eat question with lobster clams and fish and as a young teenager i remember complaining that we shouldn't eat seafood again and instead have burgers and hot dogs like normal people yeah man you know what to be honest with you i am not a shellfish boy i i like fish but uh, lobster, I can't deal with it. I don't. I don't know, man. It's like um, firm snot. It just. I don't. It's not my thing. Clams. I'm not really a clam guy either. I don't know. You're not. You're not selling me on Maine personally. Uh, I, I've been horny on Maine, but I've never eaten lobster in Maine. Uh, we also have a lot of campgrounds for the RV. The terrain can be hilly, but not so much. You will burn up the brakes. All right. So Darren, yeah, you're. You are definitely catching up. Um, that was the road trip. Uh, fuck, I think it was pre-COVID. <laughs> Maybe it was a little bit post. That never happened. It just never happened. I think it was going to when when the pandemic hit, when like lockdown happened. Um, I think Jay was still going to go through with it, but too many places just shuttered or it was just too too wonky. And then, you know, he had to focus on the bar. And so it just, it never happened, but it might soon at some point. So Darren, if you ever catch up, man, and uh, you hear that it's happening again. Remind us of of the main issue, and hopefully we'll um, you know we'll check that out. Um, okay, last one. This is from Glenn. I was just listening to an episode, and you mentioned that the John Palmer book might be a bit too much for an entry level book. Don't tell Palmer I said that, Glenn. What the fuck are you doing? What would you recommend to someone who has never done an extract batch? I don't know. Why do you need a book at that point? If you've never done extract, here's what I would recommend is I would recommend reading the directions. I would recommend going to more beer, getting an extract kit and reading their directions. I think you can even pull the directions offline because that's at that point. If you've never done extract, you don't say you don't need. And, um, and I don't really mean that, but you don't need to know the fundamentals behind what you're doing. In my opinion, you just need to know why you're, what you're doing, right? So at what times to boil, how long to do the thing, what are your additions, how, you know, dumping the grain bag, cooling the thing down. If you, I don't think you need to know why, if you've never done it yet, I would say do it once with the, uh, you know, directions that are provided in the kit, then buy John Palmer's book. It is very heady. I'm not going to lie. 
but I think it's organized well enough where you can skip some of the science if you don't want it, if you don't want to learn about it. But definitely pick up How to Brew. Uh, that's his book, right? Um, I'm sure there are other great ones too. I mean, you know what? I've, I've read like designing great beers, how to brew the new complete joy of home brewing and you know, and then everything's just like specialty shit. Right. So I, I don't, I don't really know anymore, but if anyone wants to write in and tell Glenn what kind of books to look out for, I'm, I'm happy to, to tell you about it, but, uh, maybe someone in the chat, you know, Facebook chat. No, no one wants to say anything. So yeah, anyway, um, that's what I would do, man. Get the kit. Read the directions, buy the John Palmer book, maybe do both because I know he does cover uh, extract in there. So if you want to be a science guy and learn why, then you can do it. But, you know, I, I think you do need the little foundation there. That's what I got for you. All right. Well, look, that's the little feedback segment I have for you guys. Thank you very much for indulging me. And I apologize for not checking those since like March. <laughs> of this year, I will do better at it for sure. Especially if you guys tell me you're going to email in. Oh, and then, um, shit, was it Glenn? It was, I forget, I forget which email it was. Um, asking about Justin. Proof of life. Justin is alive. He exists. I've talked to him a few times and uh, he's just working on the bar, trying to keep the bar afloat. And, uh, you know, we're all navigating these, these uncharted waters as, as best as we can. So uh, don't expect to hear Justin anytime soon. I'm afraid you're stuck with my dumbass for a while, but I'm happy to do it. I enjoy being here and, uh, you know, all that kind of fun stuff. I'm drinking a hop water from Lagunitas. I literally buy these two cases at a time now. It's non-alcoholic, and I fucking, I love it. If they ever went out of business or stopped producing it, I would cry. All right. Well, look, I'm going to get out of here, everybody. Let me just hit the calendar. And, and uh, Bev has been doing a great job booking guests. If you guys have any recommendations for guests, email Bevo, B-E-E-V-O, at thebrewingnetwork.com or me, JP, thebrewingnetwork.com, and uh, give us guest ideas. We are, I don't want to say we're running out, but it's been harder, especially with the pandemic, to get noticed by some breweries. Because they have their own shit to fucking deal with, right? Like uh, Tony was saying, oh, we had to not only like partner with the shoots, but scale up to packaging and cans, doing different stuff. We're selling equipment. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. And, you know, I'm surprised that he even spent as long uh, you know, with us as, as, as he did. So it's been tough. So if you have any recommendations, email Bev or myself and we'll, you know, we'll try to book him. But tomorrow night, if you're listening live, I got Dr. Homebrew. We got two... Two episodes of Dr. Homebrew. Uh, on Wednesday, the 22nd, Drew Beecham is supposed to be on. I don't know. I'm going to try to... God damn it. I'm burping. Um, I'm going to try to push him to next week. But anyway, Monday, the 27th of, of September, we have Kansas Territory Brewing Company. That should be a good one. Hopefully, Drew will be on, uh, <laughs> on that week as well. In October, October 4th, Hello Friend Brewing Company, which... Uh, fucking great that's like of, of the all-time trying to think about it that might be the all-time best brewery name ever hello friend i just i don't know man i think it's really cool um october 18th we have crane brewing and then october 25th i'm very pumped for this athletic brewing and if you guys have you know you guys are probably going where have i uh heard that name before they're the non-alcoholic brewery it's going to be the very first 100% non-alcoholic brewery I think we've had on the show. I've had some of their beers. I fucking like them. 
and I'm not ashamed to say it, non-alcoholic beer has a place at the table, in the cooler, in your beer fridge, but it's never really tasted good. It's never really been passable as beer, right? As com- as comparable, I guess I should say. I shouldn't use the term passable, but I'm I'm gonna I'm. It's gonna be interesting drinking these beers um, and talking to the guys uh, from Athletic, the people. I don't know who they are. Um, it'll be cool. So if you're interested in non-alcoholic beers, you know what you can also do. Send your questions in too. I mean, I'm definitely gonna be talking about how to brew non-alcoholic beer. I don't know if they know how to do it at home if they're home brewers or, or, or whatever, but, uh, I don't know. I'm interested. So anyway, that's what we got going on in the rest of September and October. Anyway, thank you guys very much for tuning in. I really, really appreciate it. Be sure to hit up all of our sponsors, especially the folks at more beer. Uh, thank you to Tony from boneyard brewing, go to boneyardbeer.com. If you're in bend Oregon or anywhere in the area and you find their beer on the shelves, grab it. It is very, very good. And, uh, Tony was a good talk. So, uh, thank you to him very much. All right. Until next time, we'll see you guys later. Just